0: It's your friendly CityWire Ratings Radar Show crew back with you for another deep dive into our fund manager performance data. I'm Richard Lander and along with Angus Foote, I will be talking to our fund manager analyst experts Frank Talbot and Nisha Long, so welcome to you all. Uh, Two really topical equities sectors for you today, Frank has looked at global emerging markets, and Nisha at the banks and financial sector. What's particularly interesting It says if you look back at the broad indexes for these two sectors over the past year, they're both up around 60%. But trace them back just to the start of 2021, and your money would have grown around 20% in a banks and financials index and gone more or less nowhere in global emerging markets. Now, uh, that might tell you a lot about the indexes and how they're made up. Uh, And of course, we're here to talk about the active fund managers who earn their corn by beating those indexes. So, Frank, let's start with you, because the GEM index gets a lot of criticism as not as being backward looking and not fit for purpose. Uh, So tell us how your best managers are beating that index.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you say, this might not strike you as the best time to be looking at emerging markets. After all, IMF recently came out and said that while the developed world will recover from the pandemic uh, much quicker in the medium term in terms of its output, the emerging and low-income economies will take much longer. And after a a strong equity market recovery last year, the air has well and truly come out of the rally. Naturally, though, as you say, index is important, and this is country-specific. China, the largest component of the EM index at 38%, is more than 20% down from its peak in mid-February, having slipped into a technical bear market over the past couple of days. And this is on the back of fears that, firstly, the rally has gone too far after that sort of 80% gain last year uh, from the market nadir in, in March and um, some astonishing individual share price gains during that period. There's also this looming threat of inflation uh, that's put the brakes on more speculative growth areas, companies, countries worldwide. Uh, nevertheless, it really was a breakout year for China, you know, the flows into China-specific funds continue to, to come from Europe. So the long game appears to be being played there. Um, India, as well is one of the best-performing markets globally last year, as you all know, it's really struggling to contain the virus, and the news flow is, is horrific coming out of the country. However, having said that, uh, equity market is only down about 7% from its uh, mid-February peak. It's often seen as a high-quality market, and that resilience isn't uncommon uh, in times of adversity, um, broadly though, while EM, you know, had a great run last year, the basket of emerging countries remain very attractive relative to developed equities, having lagged significantly since the credit crisis, you know, for a long time. Absolutely, things could get worse from here, particularly if inflation does come through. Uh, but volatility is the name of the game in emerging markets, and and you definitely don't want to bet the farm on it. But the potential for positive surprises. Uh, is, is is abundant, you know. And I want to flag up a couple of funds here. Um, the first is the Jim Jenison Emerging Markets Equity Fund, run by a trio of rated managers, AAA rated Albert Kwok and Sara Moreno, and AA rated Mark Barabo. This is one of the hottest products in this sector and it has had an astonishing year, more than doubling investors returns over the past 12 months. Uh, it's available pretty much anywhere in the world which is good news uh, they did well in part by being overweight china and that has sensational run but they haven't been afraid to to rotate away from china and now have 34 percent in the country versus 45 percent at the end of november they ditched alibaba almost immediately following jack ma's ill-advised comments about the financial system in october last year surprisingly few funds actually took that call so that was a bold move uh, and, and ultimately a good one They've used the proceeds of that to increase their allocation to India, more than doubling their bets to 22% of the fund. Biggest position in the country is everyone's favorite Indian financial HDFC bank, followed by Ashok Leyland, India's second largest auto maker. Interestingly, it's it's underweight tech, which isn't common for a fund shooting the lights out like this in emerging markets. Um, I like this fund. You know, the management team look to be quite proactive and obviously, it helps that the performance has been very eye-catching. Cool. Uh, the, the, the next one I want to flag up is one that I, and I believe Nisha, invest in. Disclaimer, though, that doesn't mean that you should be investing in it as well. Uh, but it is the uh, Fidelity Emerging Markets Fund run by AA-rated Nick Price and Amit Goel. This strategy is the market leader in Europe in terms of assets under management with $11 billion of assets. And in many ways, that size is warranted on the back of consistent outperformance for more than a decade. Again, it's underweight China with the same 34% invested. But the top 10 is, is full of companies that, that you would know. Uh, biggest position is uh, semiconductor manufacturer TSMC at 9.1%. Actually, they've been increasing their stake uh, as the share price has declined over the past few months. Uh In the near term, it really looks like they're betting big on this semiconductor shortage pushing up prices of these companies, particularly when you consider that Samsung, the world's largest semiconductor manufacturer, is the second largest position in the fund at 8.6% of the fund. It also has sizable positions in Alibaba and Tencent. It also has NASPERS. I don't know if you're aware of NASPERS, but it's a South African IT company, uh, which is very much a proxy for Tencent.
0: Just... Tell them about NASPERS, That was like an ancient Africana newspaper group, and they saw the writing on the wall, like most newspaper group groups didn't, and and bought shares in in, in these amazing companies like uh, Tencent and like uh, Tencent. And, yeah. So they
1: invested thirty-two million in two thousand and one. Have a guess at what it's worth now. Oh no, it's ten billion. Two hundred billion. Uh, amazing. So I almost
0: swore there. So. <laughs>
1: Uh, emerging markets yeah generally I find emerging markets to be fascinating undeniably the future and I think if your investment horizon is long enough then not having an investment in EM is an opportunity cost you know the term emerging market is also a little derisory many of these countries emerged a long time ago and the biggest companies in the index are world leaders in what they do and that position is only likely to strengthen over time right
0: sounds like you've got to be Pretty nimble as a manager in this sector. So you see the you see the uh, writing on the wall for China. You, you shift there fairly tactically.
1: I don't I don't know if that's that's always the case in order to be successful. I mean, if you'd have backed Alibaba and Tencent for the past decade, it's pretty much all you had to buy and have your biggest positions, and and they would have done very well for you. But yeah, stuff stuff can change quite quickly. It's a massive set of countries with very different factors influencing what's going on and their share prices so yeah i think you need to certainly be alert but uh, i wouldn't say shift your positions every day and night but nevertheless that pgm fund they are certainly willing to to change when they see an opportunity
0: excellent angus are your selectors over allocated
2: one i was going to say i'm quite tuned into emerging markets at the moment actually because we launched our new world of emerging markets newsletter this week so a couple of things struck me when I was putting that together. And um, firstly, uh, a lot of the fund managers that we've been interviewing over the last couple of weeks in this space uh, are, are, are very keen to stress that they see the COVID situation as delaying, but not derailing uh, an emerging markets rally. Now, obviously, you always have to be wary of fund managers talking their own books, but that does seem to be logical. I mean, it's always been the case that you invest in emerging markets for long term growth. Um, rather than um, necessarily treating them tactically, but the other thing that came through, and this came through um, from some of the big private banks, is that it's very much uh, a case of being selective, and uh, I mean, Frank, so we've talked in the past about China now being a, a separate case, really, a lot of money going into China-only funds, um, so so then it, it, it's really a case of thinking about which emerging markets to be in, isn't it, because you can't, you, as, as everybody knows over the long term, you can't generalise, really, about these, these countries, and, and some, as Frank said, have emerged already. Um, but um, looking at uh, our, we, d- we do a monthly, sorry, a quarterly super allocators report where we look at what, where the private banks, the big private banks are allocating money. And back in uh, very early 2020, they were all positive about emerging markets. It was all an area where they expected to be allocating more. So if that's a, if that's a long-term belief, then, you know, you, you would expect you would expect that uh, that argument about delaying rather than derailing the rally to be
0: true. Yeah. and you know you come back to the argument that this is where the consumer wealth is. Uh, that they are, you know, they've just skipped over a generation of infrastructure, you know, fixed, uh, particularly in communication, and gone straight, straight for, uh, straight for everything digital and. Uh, Penetration is still low there, and the and the and the potential is still fantastic. So,
1: yeah, the second move advantage is is, is a real deal. As is you know the numbers game of of how large the population yeah. base is in these countries and how smart and the quality of the products they can produce. So uh, it's it's very exciting.
0: Yeah, I'm going to make the bridge to Nisha on banks and financials by a tweet I saw this this morning from someone in the states. Actually, works for WhatsApp. And he said, I'm trying to figure out how to send £6,000 six thousand dollars from my Chase Bank account to my Welsh Chase account to, for our income tax payment. And he said he had three choices. One is write a free paper check. Two is send $2,000 max a day for three days through some banking app, or to pay $25 for a wire transfer. All of which, if, you know, even in Europe, this sounds like nonsense, and certainly in the Global emerging markets, but this is the situation of, you know, what's a pretty archaic banking system in the states, isn't it, Nisha?
3: Uh, No, absolutely.
0: Segues in nicely to for you to talk about the banks and and what potential they've got, maybe.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I've been looking at um, banks and financials um, just over the past year, and we have seen of a lot of people know about the trend of the rotation into value stocks from growth. And banks and financials have been one of the beneficiaries of this. Um, so, looking at European domiciled open-end mutual funds and ETFs in Morningstar's financial services equity sector, which does include you know, your banks and financials, um, talking almost €3.3 billion euros of net flows just in March. And in Q1, it was uh, 5.5 billion. Now, that's amazing because this is just over 219 open ended funds. So it's not a huge sector, but it's really taking in the money. And flows have been coming in since October 2020. So that's when the trend has really started. And that has been moved along by the rotation from growth to value. And this is one of those um, value rotations that we're seeing. So previously, the battered bank stocks, um, they're coming up trumps now. Um, you know, Better balance sheets, um, you know, they're also releasing a lot of debt, equity. But in city-wise equity banks and financial sector, we do have a healthy number of managers that we track. So, 90 managers and 30 are rated. So, rich pickings from this thematic sector, which is doing very well. And as you mentioned before, about 60% up, you know, the index at the start. So, it's, you know, somewhere to definitely look at. Um, but first up, I wanted to mention um, US-only managers. Um, But they are definitely worth mentioning because over the last year to the end of March, they've returned 146%. um, And they are double A-rated, Steve Russell and A-rated, Kenneth Mertz, who manage the Emerald Banking and Finance Fund. Um, Just to mention a few more um, figures, because in Q1 of this year, they returned 33% in US dollar terms. But in Q4 2020, it was 46%. Now, that you'd expect that from funds over a year or three years, but over a quarter, that's just phenomenal in this sector. Um, but they do have quite um, not your most well-known um, uh, holdings in their portfolio. So Voyager Digital, Triumph um, Bank Corp, um, Lending Club Corp, some of these I haven't really heard of before. Um, and one last one I have to mention, they have about a 1.5% allocation in Bitcoin investment trust. Um, so, now just moving swiftly along from that, because I'm not sure that you'd all want Hedging to talk about, about Bitcoin. It, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, But one of my favorites in the sector, and they have been for a very long time, and they have taken in money, is the BlackRock, the um, BGF World Financials Fund, managed by AA-rated Vasco Marino. Now, he's had an unbroken ratings track record since May 2018. And the fund is huge. It's 1.2 billion euros. It did fall back. Um, last year to about 700 million, but now it's back up there. And flows just continue to come into the fund. And just in March, um, the fund took in 392 million euros. So it's been one of the active funds, which has been an investor's favourite in this. And performance now, what can I say, 83% over the past year um, to the end of April in U.S. dollar terms. And in comparison to the index, the um, All Country World Financials Index, MSCI, is 58%. So, um, there's quite a huge difference there. But this can be explained by Marino's great stock picks um, and his off benchmark positions. Um, so, he has um, around 11% in fintech, which has also you know, really come up over the last couple of years. But he has fintech companies in his portfolio and consumer finance as well, where he has an overweight of 14% over the benchmark. So, it's not just your normal benchmark positions, you know, he's, going, he's thinking out of the box and that's why he's got, you know, great returns. Um, he does hold you know, the obvious corporates, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo and Goldman Sachs. Um, but in this high conviction portfolio to be, so it's about 30 to 50 stocks that he usually has. Um, he, it is very punchy um, and value focused, um, which can add a bit of risk to his um, portfolio. But you know what, over the last three years, he's really stuck to his guns looked at, you know, extra positions outside of the index and has, you know, beaten his benchmark, you know, by quite sizable gains. Um, so that's one to watch and he continues, you know, to play it very well. And lastly, the I can't not mention this manager as well, another double A rated manager in the sector, Sotiris Boutis, um, of Fidelity Global Financial Services Fund. Again, he's taken in quite a lot of money as well. Um, In Q1, 400 million euros, and his fund is over a billion as well, very sizable. Um, And he returned 60.3% to the end of April in US dollar terms. Um, But he is in JP Morgan, Bank of America, Fidelity itself, and um, Charles Schwab as well. So the sector in a whole, you know, made promising gains over the year. So, I think the average manager as well is above 60% in the sector, which is, you know, it's amazing. Um, So, it still has room to grow as well as we continue to see, you know, value, you know, still running at the moment.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of of wind blowing tailwinds for them, isn't it? You know, the the banks have, Mm -hmm. have not written off as much as they expected when Covid started. Those brokers have done really well because stock markets have gone up uh and they've been people have been digging in game stock and stuff like that and then then you've got the fintechs in there it's a remarkably heterogeneous sector
3: absolutely, and you also also you have mortgages in there as well, which oh, of and well, and credit in, yeah 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 absolutely, so it's very promising
0: so Frank and Angus, let's go for Frank first.
1: yeah there's also there's also the aspect of I think some of the companies that Nisha named as sort of lenders to smaller medium sized enterprises. And as we've reopened or reopening, uh, those stocks are going bonanza because there, there is a lot of interest. There are people taking out loans again in order to pro- ramp up their business as they expect the demand
0: to follow. I you were going to come in.
2: Yeah, I, I was going to actually once again um, flag up the private bank CIOs, those super allocators, because if I, before we had this uh Conversation I look back at recent recent reports, the quarterly reports we produced from those people, and the last couple they both highlighted that uh, a lot of the private banks were increasing their. Overweight to financials uh, in many cases as part of that switch to value, but but that um, that super allocators report is a great lead indicator because uh, Anisha, you highlighted the flows that have gone into these funds, and obviously a lot of that money is coming from these private banks who have made this allocation switch. So that's certainly worth watching if you want to know what's going to happen next. Um, the other interesting thing is the Anisha, you mentioned this in a conversation earlier in the week. There's an ETF, a couple of ETFs that have seen huge inflows in that sector. And, and, and I guess the question there is whether these big um, investment houses, the, the private banks, and, and fund managers of all types really, are increasingly using ETFs for these big tactical switches in and out of specific themes. And it seems to me if that is happening, you could argue that's a good thing for active managers because that means that that kind of quick switch money isn't going to come in and out of the active funds, it will go in and out of the ETFs and the active managers can get on with the sort of the, running the long-term stickier money, which I guess is a, is a much more comfortable place for them to be. One last thing I was going to mention, one of our another of our columnists, our Fund of Funds Insider, uh, wrote a piece this week and he was talking about how well the Polar Capital Insurance Fund had done for him. Uh, and he uh, was making the point that actually one of the reasons that fund had done so well was by avoiding the dud stocks in the sector. You know, insurance generally hadn't done particularly well. Life insurance companies generally are poor performers. There's some kind of risk-happy general insurers that have uh, have dragged the sector down. But avoid those, as the Polar Capital Fund had done, and you see really strong returns. So, once again, it uh, really bigs up the role of the good active manager.
3: Absolutely. Also, in this sector, I have to agree that active, active management—I think—works better than, um, you know, tracking an index. Um, one of the funds, I think, well, Lixor MSCI World Financials ETF, um, that took in 1.3 billion in March alone. So that's huge numbers. So you can see the allocations are going in there um, for a quick win, you know, getting into that financials, but the um, returns weren't as good as your active managers. So in comparison, it was 58% returns compared to somebody like Marino, who had 83%. So you can see, you know, it's active management. The stock picks in this sector is rich pickings for the active manager. They can really, really do well.
0: Good. Well, I'm going to disclose that I've got a small shareholding in that uh, Polar Capital Insurance Fund. And Frank, I think you want to make a disclosure about something.
1: I actually have an iShares uh, Euro Stock 600 Banks ETF that I bought last year and it has has done very well. Uh, I think think financials look to be, although cyclical, one of the areas that have been sold down unfairly when you compared it to, say, hospitality or aviation. And I think a a lot of people woke up to that sort of uh, as the vaccine news came in last year.
0: And all this inflation stuff uh, must be a bit of a boost because when rates go up, if they go up, banks tend to increase their margins. Uh, so, you know, there, there's the extra kicker just in case, uh, you know, the Fed has another taper tantrum at some point. Brilliant. Okay. So much covered there. Lots of interest disclosed. Uh, don't try this at home, or at least don't follow our advice anyway. So, thank you to Angus, Frank, and Nisha for another episode, and we'll be back again very soon.